Welcome everyone to today's class. So before we begin, um, last week uh, Vijay Bear asked a question which I did not answer fully only because I did not want to go off topic. So I thought I'll take it up today before class. I can't remember in which context I said that we're all living in misery, but we don't realize it. To which uh, Vijayabai asked, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you asked that people in the world living in third world countries, poverty, hunger, how should we look at them? Is that correct? Do I remember, do I remember correctly? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Why, why so much suffering when, uh, why are they going through all these stages? Or why are they experiencing all this? Okay, great. So I will ask the group, how we should, how should we view this situation? Anyone? How should we view, based on what we've been discussing in this uh, chapter? How should we view this situation? People are suffering all over the world. Would you say they've been born into that environment or come in because of their desires and vastness from previous lives? So suffering is also a context on from whose perspective are they suffering if you actually look at some poor people where you consider all and poor and unfulfilled their lives may be more fulfilled than ours to be honest because of their wants being less or their desires being less sure. i think the question is asking people are dying of hunger uh you know no medical um available to them you know they're they're really suffering below the poverty line. Vanita. So I think that really it's not just, you know, people that are below the poverty line that are suffering. There are rich people that are still suffering the same consequences, but because it's not physical, it doesn't mean they're not suffering. So I think you have to think of it in both contexts. Yeah. I think but Vijayabai is distinctly talking about people not who are rich, but who are in third world countries suffering from you know, malnutrition and things like that. Is that right, Richard? Yes, but more physical. Loss of sight, loss of arms, loss of, okay. you know. We're going to address that today anyway in today's class. Yeah, but um, Patiben, you had a... No, I was just saying that was the question that um, what can we do or why they are suffering? What why are they in that situation? How should we, you know, we see them how should we deal with that, our conscience? Right, okay, what, what I would think is that if it's in our ability, using the yogas that we know, we can help them without being affected. 
So meaning we, we should do what we can do in what is the best of our ability without that affecting ourselves. So we, we can, where we can help them, we should. Absolutely. Absolutely. But why are they in this situation though? Why are they in this situation? Because of the, they're born with the vasanas, they have to exhaust them in that situation. Obviously, it sounds immoral or not, not nice to us, but they wouldn't be able to exhaust their vasanas if they were not born like that. Yeah. So we're discussing the law of causation. Yeah, the law of cause and effect. And this functions meticulously. So something in their life they have done, not necessary in this lifetime, even in their past lives. This is the effect that they have to live with. And I take this question up because it's relevant to today's class. They have to live with the effects of their causes. Example, take us here in this group, for example, we can all identify with everyone here. We're living in a society that is reasonably fair. It gives us freedom to live life our way. We're free to get an education, anything we want to study, follow any religion we want. Yeah, a lot of places, they're not allowed to do that. Gives us freedom of speech, freedom to be who we want, whatever profession we want. Freedom to earn whatever we want. With our passport, we can travel to nearly any country in the world we want. We're all privileged to come across this knowledge. We're studying, chance to study from home. You don't know how lucky you guys are that you can sit at home and, and, and have this knowledge at home. You have no idea. So what cause we must have put in our past to be blessed with all this? Think about it. What cause you must have put in to be blessed with all this? If you look at it in this way, with the law of cause and effect, you understand what is going on in life. We can sympathize, feel for the less fortunate, by all means. Help them if we are able to, as Ben said. That's all we can do. They have to go through the consequences of their previous actions, whatever that, whatever that may be. Make sense? Yes, this is the material side of it, the physical mm -hmm. side I was talking about. Uh, so if there was a God, the first question I used to ask everybody, uh, where is God? Yeah, why is he, why is this old people suffering at the moment? Yeah, so those were the kind of questions I was asking before this class. Okay, so if anybody talks about God, I the first thing I would have said, where is he? Yeah, and why would the world be suffering at the moment? World, the world is left to its devices. See, if God was acting in everyone's life, everyone was spiritually self-realized souls. Yeah, but they're not. We have the freedom to do what we want, behave how we want, act how we want. He's given us that freedom. 
So therefore, we have to deal with the consequences of that. Because not everyone makes the right choices in life. So when we look at the disabled person, mm -hmm. what do we say? That's his destiny, that's his karma. That's his karma. And, yeah. That's his karma. So, so, so we, we say bad luck to him. Is that what we say? We don't say bad luck to him. We, we, we philosophically understand that what the reason he is in this condition is due to his past actions. Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you let me give you, um, another, I'll give you some example. Recently, yeah, cause and effect, this is how it works. We, what's happened recently, Jeffrey Epstein, Owen Island, rich, friends of ex-presidents, uncontrolled desires. He broke the law, had to deal with the consequences of his actions. Where is he now? Locked up, yeah. Yeah, he's committed suicide. Yeah. His partner, Miss Maxwell, same thing. In fact, those who remember her father, you probably remember Robert Maxwell, one of the most powerful men in the UK. He owned the Daily Mirror. He did terrible things, stealing money that belonged to others. What happened to him? Some say he committed suicide or fell off his boat, but he died. You can't get away with anything in life. This is the point we're making. Maybe from the law of the land you might get away with, yeah? But not the law of cause and effect. This is the point. Yeah, you may get away with it. The law doesn't catch up with you. You're too smart for the law, but not with cause and effect. So that's why they say, be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you desire. And that's why we have the scriptures, which teaches us the correct way to live our life as a human being. If you follow the scriptures, act accordingly, only good things will happen to you. But if you behave negatively, then negative things will happen. So when you see people who are in a dire, dire situation, you sympathize, but you understand this is the effect of their causes that they have created themselves. You may empathize with them, but there's nothing more you can do. Yeah, Rona Bin. Thank you, there's still a question that we are lucky, as you said, we're fortunate that we came across this and we can now use our knowledge and try and get out of it. But what about all those people who haven't managed to come across this? How will they get out of this? They will, they will when they get to that stage, yeah, then they will get out of it when they're ready. Very unfair though, the balance is not like, I, I, you know, if there is a God, you think they will, shouldn't they, he should be the, uh, we always talk about a very forgiving God, a very kind God, and why shouldn't, I, I feel as though I quite accidentally, this happened to me last year when I came across this, I hadn't known about it. And so it seems unfair that oh, just a handful of people are ever going to get this chance to be on this path when there's thousands and thousands of people not going to get millions. this. Millions. Millions. Millions of people. Billions, yeah. It's so unfair. Who's to say what's fair and unfair? Okay, you call a million people here. How many will stay in the class? Look how many people are here, first of all. 30 people. 35 people. Yeah? 
Because if you're not ready for it, if your vasanas aren't there for it, you haven't put the right cause in the past, you're not going to get it. It's not going to come in your life. And even if it comes, you won't even recognize it. You won't even appreciate it. What's this guy talking about? I don't understand nothing what he's talking about. What's my bank balance today? Yeah. It's mumbo jumbo. I told you, I, I, where, as soon as someone asks me, oh, what did you do in the ashram? I said, I studied the Bhagavad Gita. As soon as I say the word, they walk away from me. No interest. This is honest truth. No interest, no vasna for it. You can't make them. You have an interest. That's why you're here. This is why I said, you put some cause in the past which allows you to be interested in the subject, which allows you to become a better human being, which allows you to develop yourself spiritually in all aspects of your life, yeah? where you will gain happiness if you follow it. Now, you can't give out that same medicine to everybody. Yeah, Josh Simon. Um, talking about everybody getting their knowledge, I mean, Magna introduced us to it, but I guess we were ready to accept that knowledge. When I learned about the different things and how it would benefit us, I introduced it to my friends. And one of them even attended the class and she only came the once and none of the others were interested in it. So it's not like we're not trying to influence other people or let them know that this is a, around, but they're not, in, like you said, they're not interested in it. So what can you do you can't like force them into it can you <laughs> so you're trying to help everyone because you're benefiting from it but like you said if you know if they're not there ready for it. anyone um we did a series of classes in bolton for the hindu council okay i don't know how many there were i heard hundreds and so on there's two people here regularly interested in this subject benita and dimple out of hundreds this is, and that's a good number actually too. <laughs> that's a good number. Um, I could have had none. Sorry. This is, this is how it functions, yeah? Those who are ready for it, see the value in it. Those who are not, you cannot make them see the value in it. I was hoping for God's intervention here somewhere and say that he would be putting a spark into everybody somewhere that you choose a path. It doesn't necessarily have to be this path, but a path to try and guide you to spirituality. And that's um, that's my hope anyway. Yeah. So you're here. You do the best for yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. Cause and effect will work for them just as it's worked for you. When they're ready, they'll, they'll come. But until then, you only worry about yourself. Put in the effort to develop yourself and become a better human being. Your journey is your own. You can't take your kids with you. You can't take your husband with you. Only you can travel on that journey on your own. Yeah, that's close for all of you. Okay, we'll continue with our class today. So thank you Vijay Bhai for that question because it fits in well with uh, what we're discussing. No, thank you for answering it. Right, so, theory of reincarnation. Just recap. Human being, we are made up of 
what did we say last week? The gross body, which is the physical body, we can all see in the mirror. Subtle body made up of the mind and intellect. We can't see these. And the causal body, which is vasnas, called causal because it is the cause of your desires, which also we cannot see. And the spirit, Atman, which is all pervading. So human is gross body, subtle body, causal body, and the Atman. And we said, life is just a series of experiences which is propelled by our desires. They take us from one experience to another. No desires, no life. Cause is desires, effect is life. Just as cause is mango seed, effect is mango tree. So birth and death is just another experience. Nothing to worry about. Just a change of experience. We're going to discuss that in more detail today, what happens. So this scientific law of indestructibility of matter states, something cannot pass into nothing. This is the foundation of this theory. Something cannot pass into nothing. So when we die, what happens? The gross body, we either bury or cremate. Either way, it becomes one with earth. What happens to the subtle body, our mind and intellect? So much going on in there, emotions, feelings, thoughts, desires, all that energy. So this law applies to our subtle body as well. Our intellectual and mental energy must also go somewhere. It can't suddenly disappear when we die. So in the world, every day, there are so many people dying. Where does all that energy of the mind and intellect go? All those unfulfilled desires, where do they go? Same time, every day, there are so many babies being born. Energy cannot be created from nothing. Where does the subtle body, textures of the mind and intellect, the desires of the newborn come from? So these great sages, thousands of years ago, investigated this phenomena. What was going on in the world? People were dying, there was death, and at the same time, children were being born, there was life. So they connected the unfulfilled desires of the dead to the desires of the newborn. This satisfies the law of causation that governs the world. It satisfies the law of indestructibility of matter, that matter cannot go into nothing. And it satisfies the law of karma. So life continues through this cycle of birth and death due to cause and effect. And this cycle will only stop when all of our desires have been removed. How? Either through knowledge or experience. And when there's no desires left, this is the state of self-realization. So this is only a theory and cannot be proven scientifically, but it is as close as we can get to come in to explain what is going on with life and death. And we said it is a child that decides the parents that it was born into. It is our vastness, our desires that propel our life. So therefore it would be correct to think 
that our vasanas decides where we should be born, what body we should be born into, what parents to be born, what environment to be born into. Because it only then it can satisfy and exhaust the vasanas. And finally, we said, you might be feeling that the world is not catering to your desires. Why is that? Can you remember? You're saying it doesn't cater to my desires. I didn't wish for this. I didn't wish to be poor. I didn't wish to be blind. Why is that? Why is that? Why do you feel that this isn't what you would have desired for? My desires aren't being fulfilled. Yeah, Meghna? Is it because you don't know what desires you came with? So you don't know which ones are sort of governing your life at the moment? Not one desire that decides our life. It is our total desires. Remember that graph? The resultant desires of the many desires, all of which are made up of various strengths and direction that operate and decide what course our life takes. Every day, how many desires do you have every day? Think about that. Thousands of desires operating throughout our life. And these desires are pulling us in all different directions. Remember that graph with arrows going in all directions? Could also be desires from our previous lives, not only this life. So all these different desires put together propels our life. Which explains why our life may not be going in a direction towards one particular desire. Instead, we feel that life is taking us against our desires. I want to be rich, but I'm poor. I want to be white, but I'm black. I want to be a woman, but I'm a man. That's why. Resultant desire. Any questions so far? Because we're going to continue from this point now. Everyone understand? Yeah, you have a question. Syl has a question for a minute. So if we don't know what desires we have, mm -hmm. how can we work on reducing our desires? Because the ultimate is, is that we reduce our desires in order to spiritually, spiritually develop. develop more. But if we don't know what they are, how can we reduce them? Yeah, did everyone hear that? If we don't know, how can we, anybody has an idea? She says, if we don't know what desires we have, how can we reduce them? Yeah, uh, Meghna. Um, I think we mentioned this before in saying that we don't know what we came with. So there's not really much that can be done about that. And from now on with the knowledge that we have, we can change or have the ability to change our future essentially and our next life from now on 
So we're sort of starting at zero right now. Law of destiny. Remember we said what we are right this moment in time, we cannot change. That's all the past causes we've put in. The effect is who we are today, right this minute. But we have the law, law of karma functioning as well, which gives us the freedom, the free will to choose our future, what desires we entertain. And if you follow the spiritual scriptures, the free yogas, Bhagavad Gita, which we're going to study next, then that will direct you to reduce your desires. You surrender to the scriptures, and that will take you in the right path. As you said, you don't know what desires you've got. But if you follow this path, it will help you to reduce your desires. I hope you overcome them. You have a choice. Shall I act on it or not? Okay. You don't know what you have, what desires you have. So would a higher desire not just automatically reduce lower? The higher desire will reduce the lower, which is what the spiritual scriptures, we say if you follow the spiritual scriptures, that you're already having a higher ideal. I want to live by what the Gita says, what Krishna says. He's not going to teach you, he's not going to tell you how to be living life negatively. He'll only be telling you to life, live life positively. But that's a higher ideal I surrender to. So that's a higher ideal. And the higher ideal, if the desire is strong enough, it will eradicate all your lower, grosser desires. This is how it functions. But you have to have that strength. Conviction. That conviction. This is how I want to live my life. Gradually, slowly, it will happen. Is that okay? So you have a higher ideal. So the point we finished was the fact that it's one, not one desire, but multiple desires, all the past desires that propels your life. Yeah, so that's the point we stopped. So we'll take up the next paragraph. Meghna. Besides the above analysis and conclusion, it would be interesting to observe what exactly happens to a person at death, to his gross, subtle and causal bodies and Atman, the self within. It is obvious that the physical body has not gone. It lies there. And the Atman, of course, cannot go anywhere since it is all pervading. It exists everywhere. Being so, it should exist in the dead body as well. Besides, movement of an object is possible from a place where it exists to a place where it is not. As the Atman pervades everywhere, there is no place where it does not exist. Hence, it cannot move. Thus, the physical body of the person and the Atman are very much there at the time of death. Is only the other two components of the individual viz, the causal and subtle bodies that move out. Therefore, the transference of the causal and subtle bodies from one gross body to another is designated as the death of the former body and the birth of the latter. 
This explains what happens when a person dies. We examine it saying, Atman is all-pervading. What does all-pervading mean? What does all-pervading mean? It doesn't die. It doesn't die. It has no birth or no death. Okay. What, what does all-pervading mean? It exists everywhere. It exists, it exists everywhere. Atman is considered all-pervading. This is actually the definition of God. God is all-pervading. So, an all-pervading entity, God, Atman, cannot move. Since movement is only possible from a place where an object is to a place where it is not. And if it's everywhere, it cannot move. This pen is in my left hand. I can shift it to the right hand because it is not there. So it's moved. But when something is all-pervading, it is everywhere. So if it's everywhere, there's nowhere for it to move. It's considered immovable. You'll see this in the scriptures. When it describes Atman, it's immovable. Yeah, it's all-pervading. Yeah, this is what it means. So God is all-pervading. Atman is all-pervading. So there's no way it can move to. So when a person dies, the body is there. You can see it. It's there in front of you. But Atman is also there since it is all-pervading, it's everywhere. So it's in the body as well. You're with me, yeah? Body is there, Atman is there. So what happens when someone dies? The causal and subtle body, that is transferred into the next body. Physical body is there, Atman is there. The causal and subtle body is transferred into the next body. In other words, it is the mind, the intellect, the vasanas that moves to the next body. And this is considered the death of one body and birth of another. This is what happens at death. Any clarifications? Bella, you understand what happens? The body is there. Atman is there. Mind and intellect moves. We're going to explain that. Migna. The concept of birth and death becomes clearer with the example of the sun and its reflections. The sun's rays are all pervading. Wherever there is a reflecting medium, there will be a reflection of the sun. Hold a mirror in a frame in broad sunlight. You will find a reflected sun in it. Remove the mirror from the frame and fix it in another frame. Instantly, the reflected sun in the first frame vanishes and appears in the second. The image is dead in the first and born in the second. The reflected sun moves from the one to the other brought about by the transference of the mirror. So what it's saying is it's trying to explain this phenomena. So imagine a mirror in a frame. You've got the reflective, reflective glass bit and the frame around it. 
if you remove the glass, the reflective bit of the mirror of the, out of the frame and put it in an, another frame, the sun is shining. There's a reflection in the first mirror, but you remove the glass out and put it in the next, another frame, what happens? What happens? So I'm going to see if you all understand. Two frames. Move the glass from one frame to another. Benita? Just the reflection moves. The sun's reflection is no longer in the first frame. It now moves to the second frame. So the reflected surface, the mirror bit, you can say is the subtle body and the causal body. The mind and intellect, vasanas, desires. The reflected sun is now no longer reflecting the first frame. It has moved to the second frame. When this happens, we can say the image is dead in the first frame and born in the second frame. Yeah, so just remember the sun is Atman. The two frames, different bodies, the glass, the reflection, is the mind and intellect and the vastness. You'll come more clearer when we do the next paragraph. Migna. Equate the example to the phenomenon of birth and death. The sun above represents the Atman. In all pervading rays would then be the pure consciousness everywhere. The frame would be the gross body the glass and the reflecting material composing the mirror would represent the subtle and causal bodies respectively. The Atman functioning through these bodies projects the individual. Thus, the transference of the subtle and causal bodies from one gross body to another determines the death and birth of the individual. Until the Vasanas desires get completely exhausted, the causal and subtle bodies eliminated, the cycle of birth and death will continue for him. The moment the Vasanas desires are eradicated, the individuality is dissolved. His cycle of birth and death ends. He attains spiritual enlightenment. This is what happens when one dies. When the person dies, the transference of the subtle and gross body means the death of the first body, birth of the new body. Did everyone understand the example of the mirror and the frame? Sun is the Atman. The reflection is all pervading, is everywhere. You look outside, you cannot see the sun, but you know it's there because it's daylight. So the reflection in one mirror you take the glass out, put it in the second frame. The reflection is no longer in the first mirror, it's now in the second mirror. Exactly the same thing happens when you die. Mind and intellect removes from the one body to the next body. Death of the first body, birth of the new body. This is the cycle of birth and death. And this will continue happening until you have exhausted all your vasanas, all your desires. Only then, when you have achieved this, the cycle stops. 
then we, the individual, no longer exist. We become one with Brahman, one with that pure consciousness. We reach the state of spiritual enlightenment. Any questions, Vanita? So the knowledge we gain in mm -hmm. this life mm -hmm. goes with your intellect and so it goes with your mind and intellect to the next life and it carries on from where you left off in this life or do you have to find it again no it carries on okay think about this phenomenon it doesn't come easy any other clarification does everyone understand can you hear me? You can't hear me? Yeah. Does everyone understand this, uh, what we've just talked about? Shall I make sense? Dimple, make sense? Okay, you read it, you can think about it more. Uh, okay. Read it, Yeah, just what is your understanding? Uh, do we come back as another human being or? As a man, as a woman, if you're a woman, you come back as a woman, or as a man, you come back as a man? Ask me the question at the end of the class if the answer has not presented itself. No worries. Okay. Okay, next topic. Next paragraph, sorry. Without the cognition of the law of causation and a clear understanding of the consequent theory of reincarnation, you could run into trouble. Here is a true story. A lady in her advanced age developed cataract in her eyes. She was losing her eyesight. At that same time of her life, a misfortune befell her. Her only daughter expired. She was terribly upset. She lost all her interest in the world. She would not meet anybody or go anywhere. Meanwhile, her cataract ripened. She was practically blind. Her family and well-wishers appealed to her to undergo surgery. She refused to do so. She chose to deny herself eyesight for the rest of her life. She would say, am I to restore my eyesight to gaze at emptiness? The beauty in my home is gone. I have nothing more to see. They were all confused and did not know how to persuade her to go through the surgery. They approached a Swami, a sage for help. The Swami met her personally. The wise man explained to her how the resultant desire works. Remember, you are ent entertaining a powerful desire not to see the world. The sage said to her, you are old, death may overtake you at any day. If you continue to deny yourself sight, there is a fair chance that you will be born blind. The lady sprang to her feet and went through the surgery the same day. It's a true story, by the way. The, Swami, the, the sage is actually the Swamiji who, who um, this happened. He was the person who we're talking about. So the daughter passed away. So the lady was distraught. My only daughter passed away. 
What is the point of having a cataract operation? There's nothing more to see in the world for me. I want to, there's nothing I want to see since my daughter has passed away. The one thing, the beauty. So the lady had, so she didn't have, a, she didn't want to have an operation. No one can persuade her. So they called Swamiji and said, Swamiji, speak to her, put some sense into her. She doesn't want to have this cataract operation. So the Swami said, be careful what we just talked about. The, your desire is so strong not to see the world. There's a fair chance that in your next life you may be blind. If that desire is so strong, the effect of that will be that you may come back blind in the next life. So therefore, she didn't understand. So therefore, once she understood, she had the operation done. It gives you an, an idea of what we're talking about, cause and effect. Does everyone understand that example? Just now, Okay, great. Next paragraph. The significant part of the episode is that a person could be born blind, even though he does not desire it. The resultant of all his desires becomes the cause leading to that effect. Therefore, it would be in your interest to scrutinize at all times the type of desires you entertain. Avoid negative thoughts and desires. Try to turn them positive. If you practice that, you would not be a victim of self-inflicted complications in life. Your life would then become more meaningful and purposeful. Thank you. So this is what happens. You ask, why is this person come blind? We don't see, now you understand. You've been explained through knowledge what happens. We understand this law of causation. If we don't, we get into problems in life. They're saying we need to examine the type of desires we entertain in our life. Even the thought. We should avoid negative thoughts, negative desires, turn them positive. What are negative thoughts? What are negative thoughts? When we say, I can't do this, I'm not able to do this, no, all this, the things that we put barriers in our thoughts are stopping us progressing. So uh, everything, if you have positive thoughts, it's going to propel you, accelerate you to uh, the higher in any, any form or any desires we do have. So all our desires should be very, very positive. And when we are when we were young, our children, we always tell, tell our children, don't do this. You can't do this. So we're instilling all the can'ts and don'ts. We're not telling you can do this or do it this way. So if we put all the positivity within ourselves, yeah, we can, we can change our lives. Okay. But what, so what are negative thoughts though? You've said, you've said positive thoughts you know, uh, which makes, propels you in life. But what, I'm talking more grounded, what are negative thoughts? The negative thoughts about uh, criticizing yourself, maybe I can't, um, I'm this way, I don't like this, and or another person as well, I don't like that or that, and look at them. That's all negative thoughts, affects ourselves and them as well. 
we get that sure. back somehow. Thank you. Any other negative thoughts? The selfishness in us. Selfishness, yes. Anything else? Uh, anger, hatred, those kind of thoughts, yeah. Anything that creates thoughts that make, gives you a feeling of selfishness, jealousy, egoistic thoughts, I'm better than them. Yeah. These thoughts come up in our mind, all of our minds, yeah? Envy. These are thoughts that create agitations within us. Any thought that creates agitations is a negative thought. Who does they think they are? Who's getting agitated? You are. For that thought. How dare they talk to me like that? Who's getting agitated? Not the person who said anything to you, but you, because of thinking in that way. Jealousy. These thoughts create agitation. So these are negative thoughts because they're creating agitations within you. So you guys think about what are negative thoughts. Anything that agitates you is a negative thought. Anything that creates peace and harmony in you is a positive thought. So if we abide and follow this law, we would not run into complications in our life in future. See, now we understand from this knowledge how the world functions. You should have an answer for most things. Is it okay? Does everyone understand negative thoughts? Forget about desires. If the thought doesn't arise, then it won't turn into desires. Because it's vasanas, thoughts, desires, action. Get rid of it at the thought level, it won't turn into a desire. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I agitated? Oh yes, that person said something to me. You know what, that's his nature. Well, I'm not going to be affected by it. People can say whatever they want in life. Nothing to do with me. Next paragraph. Imagine a person who is brutal, bloodthirsty. He develops a passion for destroying, killing. He becomes a dangerous killer. The society does not allow him to manifest his destructive nature. The law prohibits it as well. His desires are frustrated. The frustrated desires must find their way out. This is not possible in his present embodiment, environment. Hence, his resultant desire will forge itself into an appropriate embodiment for fulfillment. Thus, his own desires could possibly cast his next incarnation as a tiger or a lion, wherein the embodiment and environment becomes befitting, conductive for fulfilling those desires. No doubt, a human being cannot easily fall into an animal incarnation. A human possesses fine emotions and subtle thoughts, which animals lack. 
those thoughts and desires in him would strongly influence the resultant desire towards human incarnation, notwithstanding it at all. He could still force himself into a lower species by persistently indulging in such destructive fashion. So we hear about these serial killers and people conducting wars and eradicating certain groups of people, committing genocide. All these things are happening in life as we speak now. You go into into, uh, the news today and you'll see all this happening. So if a person entertains these negative desires, killing, destructive behavior, society doesn't allow it. It's considered against the law to kill. But he has desires to kill. He becomes frustrated. So this person who has a strong desire to kill could be born in an environment to cater to those desires. as a carnivorous animal or even of a lower species. It's very rare that this can happen because most humans are not like this. But if you have that strong desire, being a human being cannot cater, you cannot fulfill those desires, then it's possible that you can come back as something for you to be able to fulfill those desires. So you have to be careful what you wish for. What kind of desires and thoughts you entertain? Because that would be your future. So in the Mahabharata, there was like a lot of killings going on. So does that mean that they have to lower species? Depends, the cause. That's a big topic. We'll talk about that when we discuss the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah? Looking the gun a bit. Next, uh, next paragraph. There is also a powerful conjecture in spiritual lobbies that a person may not be reincarnated immediately after death, that his causal, subtle body may take a while before it finds the appropriate cross body and environment. The interim period after death and before the next birth would resemble sleep or dream. This observation again has certain validity since it is seen happening to other living species. The seed fallen from a tree is not always subject to immediate germination. An egg laid by a bird takes time to hatch so too a human may experience a period of sleep or dream before his next incarnation. So what he's saying is that someone asked a question, I think, last week. I can't remember who. It might have been uh, Rishi, I think. What happens? Do you immediately, when someone dies, is he immediately reborn? How long does it take? What happens? So it's saying that the spiritualist they thought that you may not be reincarnated immediately after death. There could be an interim time in between. And if you look at nature, this happens around us all the time. A seed doesn't grow straight away. It takes time before it germinates. An egg, it takes time before it hatches. There's an interim period before it takes life. 
So he's saying, so similarly, a person, when they die, they may be in a sleep or dreamlike state until a suitable body is available or the right environment is available. So there may be an interim time. We don't know how long that it may be before you're reborn again. This is what they're saying. Could be days, weeks, months, years, we don't know. And it's backing that up with what happens in nature. So it sort of makes sense. Any questions? So in our Hindu kind of scriptures, we do like Malmu and, uh, you know, month. What, what's that kind of helping for then? I have no idea. The month thing. All right, okay. Rituals and ceremonies that are done, I'm not sure. But whatever it is, that person's already passed away. He has to live his causes in the effect. Whatever we do cannot make a difference to that. I don't know if that answers your question, Prabhu. Okay, yeah. yeah. Whatever we do when the person's passed away, we can't affect it. Maybe it makes us feel better about it, that we've done our bit. But the rest is down to that person's vastness and his past actions. But we do whatever we can. Is that okay, Prabha? Okay. Any other questions? And we'll take up the final paragraph. People the world over are unaware of the relentless law of karma. They entertain all sorts of desires indiscriminately, plunge into action in pursuit of their passions, thoughtless of the dire consequences, and end up with calamities in their life. Unaware of their responsibility for the misfortune they bewail the stars and planets, blame everything, everybody in the world except themselves. In desperation, some go to astrologers, palmists and spiritualists for help. Others pray to the gods to mend their fortune, not realizing they have brought the misery upon themselves and that they have to redeem themselves. Well, most people are not aware, as they, as Karanjan said, they haven't got this knowledge, they haven't come across this subject, they're not aware of this law of karma. Therefore, they entertain all sorts of desires without thinking about the consequences. So when bad things happen to them, they blame everything, everybody, everyone. My stars are not good. This is a bad time for me. Why is this happening to me? They go to astrologers, pray to God, why me? Why them? Now you should be able to answer this question. Why them? Why is it happening to them? Vijay why is it happening to them? Their causes. Their past action. 
So after today's class, we need to understand that whatever happens to us, fortune or misfortune, good things or bad things, it's all because of our own making, our own doing, our own actions. So use this knowledge, overcome negativity in life, Understand this is the nature, vastness of different people. This is the nature of the world. Rise above it all. It's in your ability, in your hands to rise above it all. Not be affected by any of these things. I'm the self. I'm not this body, mind, intellect. Shila bin said, the self is not affected by anything. So why are we affected? Lack of identification. Identify with the self, not this body, mind, intellect. You rise above the world. You rise above everything that affects you. And only we can change things in our life, no one else. No God can help you change things. No palmist, astrologer can help change. You have to deal with it. Element. So I just wanted some clarification. I, uh, so the pujas that we do after a person passes away, do they um, help in any way uh, to the person who's gone? That's what we believe. That's why we do them, don't we? We, we believe it helps them in their afterlife. I'll open it up to the, to the group because now they, everyone should know after today's class. Yeah. Uh, That's for your own satisfaction that you believe that, you know, you've done something for that person, but you have no control. It's just for yourself, isn't it? Maybe that, that thing that you do at the end, that closure maybe that you feel that you needed to do. I don't know. It's a practical thing that doesn't do anything for the person that's died, really. Maybe. I think, I mean, same as what Danita said, I think the, after being introduced to these classes and the knowledge, it is all the rituals and that is it's for the living, really. It's for us. It's for us to sort of at different stages to remember the person or assist us to get over that um, period. Everything we do is for ourselves. So we're living, we're the people feeling it. So the rituals and that is all down to, you know, it, it's for ourselves is to assist us. Someone's raised their hand. Um, like to put, I'm not sure who it is. So, Silent, uh, yourself. So you've got your Zoom user there. That's why I'm thinking. I don't know. There's a name. Yeah, Silent. What would you like to say? Uh, it's been a couple of days. I've been thinking of the word called value, and we keep on saying this person doesn't value us, and you know we're undervalued and things like that. And then I also thought that. Because we, f we feel this, we, we become unhappy because we don't value ourselves. But if we value everybody, then the value changes. So if we value everybody around us, that person is going to value you. So it doesn't matter what they do to you, but it's the value for others that increases your own value and worth. So I've been saying practice unselfishness. That's what she's saying in a nutshell. Practice unselfishness. 
but that doesn't guarantee the other person will be unselfish. I'm sorry to disagree with you. Yeah, it doesn't guarantee that they'll be unselfish, but you practice unselfishness. That's your duty. Yeah, don't worry about receiving it back because no, there's no. no way you can guarantee that. I'm, I'm saying in a term that we always feel that we are undervalued. Like for me, we, we always want to be valued by everybody in the family. You say, oh, they don't value me and this, you know, this is this, I do this and I do that, but they still don't have value for me. But what I'm thinking that if I keep thinking like that for myself, then I should flip the question around and say, how much do I value them? So it's flipping the question around and valuing things around us. That helps you to gain self-esteem. Yeah, then that's your, that's up to you. You with me? Because you feel undervalued. They may not feel that. Yeah, you feel that. You need to get over that. You see, that is a feeling within you. So therefore, if that helps you to gain self-esteem, that's fine. But you shouldn't feel that way, you see? This is what we're saying. You're not this body, mind, intellect. You're the self. You're immovable. You're all-pervading. Why identify with the things like that. People will act based on their nature. You have a job to do. You have to develop spiritually and become a better human being. That's it. Don't worry about what other people think and say. They will act based on their nature. Just want to add that too. The value you're putting on yourself, it's not value really, it's your expectations of the other person. And also your ego comes into it then because you're saying, why aren't they uh, valuing me? Which means why should you take that on board? You don't need to listen to everyone else and you're expecting them to do something that you want as opposed to just doing what you need to do. You cannot judge how another person's gonna behave, how they're gonna think, how they're gonna, what they're gonna do. You can do everything for them. They may never value you. You have to value yourself. And that's it. Onabin, does that help? Uh, we, we went slightly off topic, but these rituals that we do when someone dies, does anybody else has anything to say about that, Megna? I was gonna say also that um, what the things that we do sort of post like rituals and and things that we do, obviously you've already said that we do them for the people that are living who are sort of left behind. But also with what we know today, that there is a time period that they might be waiting to enter another body or um, or it might be immediate. You don't know that time frame. So we're doing things for their peace or something. They might already be a whole new person already by the time you know we get around to that. So. It, based on what we know today, it might be, it, it almost seems pointless really, because we have no control about what happens afterwards. So if you look at it like that, it might make sense of where, why we do things and whether we should be continuing to do them. Different, different groups of people be, do different things. What's that group in, uh, is it New Orleans or somewhere? They all have a party when someone dies. <laughs> <laughs> Who would say that they're doing what they're doing is wrong? They all have a drink up, they're dancing and singing in the streets. They're celebrating, they're celebrating their life, the life of the person who passed away. 
They're not, they're not concerned about what happens to him afterwards. They're celebrating what the person that lived, you see? So they're doing the opposite. So who are we to say what's right and what's wrong, you know? We do whatever makes us feel happy because that person's already gone. I think there's yeah. a huge social pressure to do certain things after a person dies and you want to be doing the right thing, A, or also be seen to be doing the right thing, isn't it? That's up to you. You see, you live in a social environment that they expect that from you. You want to abide by it, then that's up to you. Yeah. Sometimes it's better to abide by it than go against the grain, which is fine. But you understand what happens. You understand this is what this is what happens when someone dies. Now you understand these things. But you may still do it just to please other people, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Knowledge also helps to tell your children to take ease the pressure of them, I think, as well, to say you don't have to do all these things because otherwise you're passing on that pressure for them in so many ways. So I think it's very helpful. Most people do things because lack of knowledge. It's a ritual, people have been doing it, social pressures. And I'm not saying it's wrong to do it, but you have a better understanding now. Dimple, you have something to say. I was just going to say, um, now that I've gained this knowledge, um, I won't, if, if I ask to do these rituals, I won't be so fearful that I'm doing it wrong. Um, I'll do it out of respect for my mother-in-law or my mum, but I wouldn't be so fearful that, oh, I've done it wrong. Oh my God, what's going to happen? You know, because I've now gained this knowledge from you. Absolutely right. So this is how we should now deal with these situations. Do what's expected. You know, just because you are wiser doesn't mean everybody else is. You have to respect them and um, go through the, the routine of it. Sorry, Cyril had a question. No, I just wanted to say, if we're thinking about when the rituals uh, were brought about, they were brought about in, you know, a country where we were from, and the body was cremated, if not on the same day, the next day, because of the uh, circumstances, right? Where the body would decompose very quickly. So if you're thinking about a family that has lost a near and dear one, their need for solace and comfort is quite high. So the idea of the rituals of the number of days and the ceremonies, it was one, a distraction, but two, also community came together to support mm. those individuals who were feeling that loss and, um, you know, help them through the most challenging time. Absolutely. Uh, and that's why the rituals and the ceremonies and the number of days were brought about. There we go. She explains why we do it. Helps the family, helps, you know, it, it's a, it's, it changes the atmosphere from a negative to a positive. You know, we read the Bhagavad Gita, the verses, we do Hanuman Chalisa, we do all these things to, to take the mind away from what's distract. happened, distract it to something higher. This is what we do. Bhajans and everything. It distracts the mind from thinking about these negative things to something more higher. God is there. He'll look after everyone.
great. Any other questions before we log off? A lot to take in today. Unfortunately, or fortunately, the book becomes more and more subtle now. I'm scratching my head how I'm going to do the next few classes myself, actually. <laughs> so I can do it justice so you can understand it, because it's quite some deep thoughts there. But I'll try my best. You're doing a good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, great. Well, you enjoy the rest of the Sunday. Happy Holi, everybody. <laughs>